Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact, you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, "What the f are you talking about? You insane Hollywood ass." So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com/switch. $45 upfront for 3 months plus taxes and fees. Promo rate for new customers for a limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. So welcome back to the Rick Shields podcast everybody. My name's Rick Shields. I'm here with producer Guy and we've got a special episode today because we've got a guest on the show. Uh, we're actually filming this on location at Tor X Golf in Ince, just outside Wigan. Uh, awesome custom-fitting uh, facility. And we've got Gemma from England Golf today, and we're going to be firing loads of questions at her about the new World Handicap system. I'm excited, Rick. I- I'm intrigued and excited because as a golf professional, I've been a golf professional now for about 11 or 12 years, I'm very much out of loop with handicap golf. I remember growing up loving the fact that you could bring your handicap category down from four to three to two and the one for me obviously was category one Mm -hmm. that everybody wanted to get into was it the same at your course absolutely and obviously when i was a hardcore golfer it was before the digital era so your handicap all got put on that probably still happens now all the handicaps put on a board in like a little um what's the word i'm looking for like laminated thing if you were category one your name was in bold and it was epic and it was like it was literally like the pinnacle of what you could get to because at the golf club i I, uh, played at all the handicap sheets were actually pinned on like a a cork board and you look through and the bold names just stood out so quickly players who had got into that category one so effectively five handicap and under um were bolded out and it was just a such an achievement i managed i managed just to get in there for about six months before before i turned professional uh, but it was pretty epic. And and like I say, I, then I started working at a golf club and I do remember handicaps much more then because I, I was dealing with club competitions, seeing members every Saturday for the club competition and Wednesdays. I used to run the, the midweek medal when I was at Mere Golf and Country Club. So I used to do all the handicaps, put the, put the cards in the system, see handicap adjustments. So at that time of my professional life, I was very, very much involved in handicaps and could really see how they were affected and stand the scratch and everything else. Um, and then, like I say, since that, and I became a full-time coach, and obviously now I was doing YouTube videos, I've just completely fallen out of track. I wouldn't even know now if you asked me what category sits on what handicap level. And yeah. for that sake, does it even matter anymore? Because what we're going to talk about today, is that going to change all this? It probably will. I've got a very much a love-hate relationship with handicaps. So first, why do I love a handicap? Well, handicap for me is a way that anybody of any ability can play golf together and play competitively. So you can obviously have a scratch handicap golf who would receive no shots 
and an 18 handicap golfer who would receive obviously 18 shots. They could go out together and play Stableford and have a really competitive match, irrespective of their actual ability. So for that reason alone, I think handicaps are amazing. The only sometimes time I think I don't like handicaps is when I play with playing partners, or I've done this myself in the past, I think everyone listening has to some degree, you get to a hole where you get a shot, right? So let's just call it stroke index 10, and you're a 10 handicap golf, and it's a par 4, and you've hit a nice drive, and you might have a 5 iron left into the green, for example. And some people say, oh, I'm going to lay up now to get a shot. But the shot they've got into the green is one they can absolutely hit, no issues. So in their head, they're allowing themselves to have a 5, when they can absolutely get a four comfortably, but they're not going for that four because of the shot hole. Do you know what I mean? Almost like they've got a bit of a safety net or or like when you go bowling, you've got the barriers up at the side. It almost gives you that added bit of protection that you can... And that's, that's not really the greatest analogy, is it? Because that helps you. Well, it, it's, you, it's... You almost become a bit too protective. It's the fact that... And my brother does this sometimes. If my brother... This, I said this in the day when we played golf, it wound me up. We're on a par five and he had a shot. He hit a great tee shot and he had a shot into the green that he could make into... But he laid up because it was a par five. And I said, if this was a long par, par four, you wouldn't lay up. You'd go for, there was no hazards or anything. You'd go for the green. So why? Because it's a par five. It's in your head, you've got five shots to complete the hole in. Golf is about shooting the lowest score possible, obviously. It doesn't really matter what you get on each hole. It's about all those holes coming together. And you do see it with handicaps. People say, oh, I've got a shot on here, so I'm going to play it safe. But if there's trouble down there and you want to play it safe, fair enough. But just because you've got a shot, don't turn that hole from a par four into a par five if you can get on into and make a birdie or a par it doesn't make sense what i find over. fascinating yeah that, that was that was a direct uh go at your brother there wasn't yeah. it what i find fascinating with with golf and handicaps i don't know another sport where two people or three people or four people or hundreds of people of different abilities can compete together mm-hmm. is there another sport that does that I mean, well, only really by using a handicap system. So we could play snooker and I could start off with 30 points advantage. But again, that's just a handicap, isn't it? So not massively, no. I mean... And and what, I don't know, like say, I don't know if there is such things in snooker and stuff, but how hard is that to measure as well? Yeah. Because at least a handicap in golf, I, I like golf handicaps. I feel like it does give players a very level playing field. It's a very quick, instant... Um, way of being able to judge the ability of a golfer. Because mm-hmm. how many times growing up did you get asked, oh, guy, you're a good golfer. You're, you're 14 at the moment. What's your handicap? Yeah. Like it was almost an instant way of being able to pinpoint the, the golfer's l- ability level just with a number. Mm-hmm. And even non-golfers know that low handicap numbers are good players, don't they? Yeah. I think the only other thing though, so again, that's the pros for handicaps, that they kind of could argue the negative. From what I said at the start, the handicaps are great because we can all play, you know, in large competitions with different varying abilities. But playing kind of like devil's advocate, do we have enough comps without handicap? Because ultimately golf is what going playing a, a round of 18 holes in the lowest score possible. Now, obviously, if every week, the week weekend comp and the midweek comp were just gross comps, you wouldn't have, you don't have 10 people play and compete. But do we need more of that for amateurs, do you think? I think there should be more prizes better prizes for the lowest gross mm-hmm. of the competition so a really good friend of mine who's actually just managed to get down to plus four handicap wow. um you know he's a really good player did try and turn pro years ago but kind of ended up setting up a business and still plays recreationally he's got down to plus four he shot the lowest gross of 65 the other day he shot six under par 
and didn't win the competition because he has to give, at the time he was off plus three, he had to give three shots back to the golf yeah. competition. So his 65 turned into a 68. And I think a 12 handicapper comes, goes around and shoots whatever, 78. Yeah. It's nets that down to 66 and wins the competition. Yeah. And the prize for the, the lowest nets will outweigh the prize for the best gross, which again, I don't think is particularly fair. If a golfer has gone round with great ability and shot 65, better than, He's taken less shots in that round of golf than anybody else that's played golf that day. I agree. And that was the thing at my club when I was growing up. You did actually get next to your name in bold again, lowest gross. So sometimes I might, not that I got lowest gross that many times, wasn't that good, let's be honest, but you'd get lowest gross. Although there was no, like you said, there was no prize, which is a shame, but it was still quite nice having that little bit of bold. It's all about the bold, isn't it? It's is. what we're learning today. It's all about bold on paper. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but that's it. Like, like I say, certainly my experiences of handicappers when I was younger and probably you're the same guy. I think when you, when you are young, I mean, handicap is such a big thing um how many times do we see messages on instagram or twitter or emails hey rick i'm 13 i'm playing off x handicap what was your handicap at 13 yeah because it's a way of again being able to judge your own ability to somebody you know ah that leads us on to today though okay does it always because if you're a five handicapper at a royal burkdale or you're a five handicapper at a parkland course that's really really short Who's the better player? That's a very, very good point. And like Guy said, that probably brings us very nicely onto today's topic, which is a new handicap system. There are many handicap systems around the world, but effectively they're going to come together to make one world handicap system. So we've got Gemma from England Golf joining us today. Uh, we're excited to hear her thoughts. We've got loads of questions to ask her. Ask her and I think without further ado, let's get her in and let's uh, start the podcast with Gemma from England Golf. So we are happy to now be joined with Gemma Hunter, who works for England Golf, and she is the Head of Handicap and Course Ratings. Gemma, thanks so much for coming on the Rick Shields podcast. No, thanks for having me. It's uh, nice to be here. We are excited and very intrigued to talk about World Handicap System. I suppose it's been on your radar for how many years now? I've been probably fully involved in the project for about four years. Is that how long it's been in the pipeline for? It's been in, in the pipeline for longer than that. I came in sort of like partway through. Uh, but yeah, I think the uh, the RNA and the USGA have been working on it since about 2012-ish. Whoa. Something along that. And then gradually over time, it's it's come into what we've got today, which is November 2nd is the, the big day. So November 2nd this year... And that's not changed with everything going on in the world at the moment. It's still been fully operational. Business as usual in terms of handicapping. Uh, so, yeah, we're, we're sticking with the 2nd of November. Uh, unless anything changes drastically between now and then, which we can't see will happen. Um, so 111 days until launch. From, from recording today. it right now. From recording it but right now. This is going to go out a week after we record it. So technically, How many days? we're on 104. Four. That was quick, man. <laughs> Not really. <laughs> so less than 100, almost 100 days uh, before launch. So what I'd like to get to today, World Handicap System. We've just been chatting about handicaps and how positive they can be, sometimes negative, how our experiences over the last few years and certainly when we were younger has been affected by handicaps. So what I want to get out of today is the simplest way to be able to explain World Handicap System to 
our audience from who are all around the world, so it's perfect timing for this, how it's going to be introduced, how potentially players' handicaps are going to be affected, how handicaps are going to be affected in the future when they play golf, how also handicaps may be able to be transferred easier or around the world easier or different golf courses easier. Because at the moment, how many actual handicap systems are there in operation around the world? So if we went back to the 1st of January this year, before the actual WHS was launched globally, um, there were six handicapping authorities. Okay. So six major systems around the world. So what's that, RNA? Our, oh, no, it was Congo. Congo. The USGA, Golf Australia, the South African Golf Association, Golf Argentina, Golf Argentina and the, US, uh, the EGA, so the European Golf Association. And at the 1st of January, they, are, they all operate under their own jurisdiction. Yes. There are different rules, a different criteria, I suspect. Yeah, everybody was... There were some similarities across a range of them. So some were averaging systems, some were incremental systems. Um, some used eight scores, some used 10 scores, some used handicaps changing depending on the score you put in previously. Um, so there were some similarities across them all, but they were all calculated differently and they all had different rules, they all had different jurisdictions and different governing bodies controlling those. So they were not comparable. So you couldn't have compared a golfer in England to a golfer in the US because they just wouldn't have, it wouldn't have worked. So in a really broad question then, if you had an 18 handicapper from every one of those different institutes, if you like, would there be a big difference in the ability, would you think, a couple of shots or? There could be a big difference in the calculation. Um, So they, they would all be calculated differently. But you could find that sort of like Kongu and the EGA would be relatively similar, whereas Kongu versus the USGA might be a bigger gap. Mm-hmm. Uh, we, we tend to find that with when you compare the Kongu system to the, the USGA system, with elite golfers, so the lower your handicap is, the bigger the disparity, um, whereas with a higher handicap player, it's not that much different. So it's, it's just that difference. Well, I, rem- I even remember myself growing up when, you know, I've played in, in scratch tournaments around the UK and often you would get balloted out. A handicap would get balloted out at, let's say, four or five handicap or whatever it may be. And sometimes you'd look down the list and there were people you'd know who obviously are lower than that. But a lot of different names from different countries. And it seemed to always be that often different countries would almost come in with slight silly low handicaps. Like, um, I don't want to kind of point fingers at any particular handicap system, but it always felt like there was much more plus handicaps from places, well, like South Africa and et cetera yeah. like that. They used to come over and and it wasn't like they were winning. It didn't seem like they were particularly plus handicaps compared to our plus handicaps. Yeah. Obviously, they were good for their own ratings. So I suppose that's where the world handicap system is going to play a big part in being able to just well, make it one easy to understand handicap system. Level it out. Yeah. The idea being that if you've got six handicap systems coming together to be one and everybody's playing to the same core rules and the calculations are exactly the same across the board, that you can then start comparing yourself to other players around the world. So if you're a six handicapper in the UK, you're equivalent to a six handicapper in South Africa, Australia, Argentina, wherever you go, you're a six handicapper. And you know that, you meet another six handicapper, you're on the same level. Whereas now you don't always get that. Like you said, some, and it tended to be the the averaging systems tended to be where you would get um, players suddenly having a lot of plus handicap players. 
and then they come over and they shoot 80 and you go, you're not a plus handicap golfer. Yeah. Um, but at least now we'll, we'll get that level playing field. We'll get the line to say everybody is now at the same standard. And hopefully one day we can have a, a leaderboard and we can actually say who is the best player, in inverted commas, in the world because you'll have the player with the lowest handicap. Oh, yeah. Because I suppose there has always been the number one amateur player in the world. But it's always been done on amateur ranking points because yeah. there's never been an equal handicap you. system. So by the, the idea of having an equal handicap system, you could, yes, you still have the amateur rankings, but you could actually say on paper who is the best or the lowest handicap golfer. That's good. So could you say, on? so let's say that the currently the golfer who's normally ranked the best amateur in the world has to play in amateur tournaments against other fantastic amateurs. Yeah. They have to compete at that level, right? Yeah. To to even get to that, to, to the, to the height, correct. And often those guys are young guys who are or men and women who are then the next stage, they're going to become professional golfers. They're going to be tour pros. Could there be an instance where there might be golfers around the world who, you know, they might be family, you know, family men and women now and, and, um, they play a lot of golf and their handicaps are now plus five, plus six, but they don't play in yep. competition. They may now become ranked as the best players in the world, best amateurs in the world. Not necessarily. I think there would still be two different rankings. I think you'd still keep the world amateur rankings. So they would just be the lowest handicapped golfer Correct. in the world. Yeah. I get you. Yeah, yeah. So I think the, the, and that's the ultimate aim. Now that might still be 10 years away mm-hmm. before we can get that. But we certainly think within England, we will be able to, after November, be able to say in England, we can say who our number one handicapped golfer is in England and then work out who is six, six and a half, well, 650 odd thousandth. So you'd really don't want to be at the bottom of that list. Um, <laughs> and is that is that how many active handicaps are in the UK right now? 658,000, yeah, something like that. Wow, that's a lot. Isn't it? That is a lot of handicaps. Right. What's the average handicap? Just a quick one. What is the average handicap in the UK then? Uh, of a male golfer, around about 17.8 something like that and for a lady about 24 i always presumed it was about 18 handicap yeah how much has it changed over the years the average handicap of a golfer it it ripples sometimes if we had a good year where we've had a lot of scores put in it, it does tend to come down a little bit but it's always been between 18 and 20 that's interesting with all the you know, these arguments about the clubs and the balls almost getting too good and driver heads getting so big and the golf ball being so stable, but actually at grassroots level, handicaps haven't really changed in however long. The equipment really only matters, doesn't it, for your elite, your elite lower-end player? It, it appears that way, because yeah, from that. that. those players are finely tuned athletes. You can't no longer say that they're just a golfer. No. They're, they're, an, they're an athlete and they get the best training, the best swing coaches, the best fitness but for Joe Bloggs Club Golfer, you want every advantage you can get. And if that means getting a driver that tells you that it's going to hit the ball straighter, you'll take it mm-hmm. because you haven't got the perfect swing. Uh, and that's the good thing about a handicap system, that actually that gives us that level playing field. So it means that we can all compete. Four of us or three of us sat around this table, we can all compete on a fair and equitable basis. Because what's your current handicap, Gemma? Six. We'll we'll come on to this a little bit more. Our handicaps might change. Is your handicap likely to change with the new system? Not very much. I'm okay. relatively consistent for a six handicapper. So that's when it's going to start to come off consistency. I mean, I think that I think where we need to go with this. Obviously, we talked a little bit about the backstory. We've talked about how it's going to benefit different people, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. But really, we need to get to the grips of what is the new yeah. world handicap system in the simplest way. And I, mm-hmm. I'll be honest, 
I've I've seen little bits of literature. I have not studied the world handicap system. Okay. okay. Explain it to me. Okay, so the new system is basically going to be your average of your best eight from your last twenty rounds. So your best eight scores from your last twenty. We're going to take the average of that, and that will be what we're now going to call your handicap index. So that's going to be the starting point for anybody's handicap. So when somebody says to you, "Now, what's your exact handicap?" 6.1, 5.9, whatever it might be. You will now say what's your handicap index and that will be the number. And that will be the, the handicap index is the number that sets us against each other. So two players at 6.3 across the world, you're the same ability. Mm-hmm. Um, the next step of that is you're now going to have something called a, a course handicap, which is going to be the handicap that you need to play a particular golf course. So this is a, a new thing that we're introducing. So you'll have all seen it. You go and play Royal Lytham and you go, I need four or five more shots here because mm-hmm. it's too hard. You go and play somewhere else and you go, actually, this is really easy. I'm playing far better than my handicap. Course handicaps will adjust depending on the course that you're playing, which is where slope rating comes in. And I'm sure we'll pick up on that. Uh, and then finally, you just go out and play golf. So HCP, handicap. It's a handicap. We're calling it HCP, handicap. Handicap index, course handicap, play. That's all a golfer needs to know. Okay. You go out, you play golf, come in from playing, you put your score in, your handicap adjusts. It makes it easy. It should be that simple. Um, but obviously it's not going to be because people are going to say, well, am my handicap playing over this golf course? I'm getting more shots. Does that change anything? It all gets scaled back in a calculation. 95% of golfers don't even want to know what that calculation is and I would tell them to avoid it at all costs. But for those people that do want to know, we've got the resources that they can go into detail and, and become handicap geeks. Uh, I get called a handicap geek quite a lot because it's <laughs> obviously it's my job, it's what I'm supposed to do. But there's a lot of people out there who really like to know what their handicap is, how it's calculated. And there's loads of information out there and saying how that is done. But for most golfers, just know what your index is, know what your course handicap is when you go and play and then go and enjoy it. So in theory then, your handicap index could be at your home club 10, let's just say. You could then go and play a Royal Birkdale, but your, your course handicap might be 12. So even at home, so you don't have a home handicap as such. Okay. So you're, you'll be based at a golf club and that'll be your home club. But your actual handicap index is just based on the round of golf that you've played. So okay. it doesn't matter where you've played them, that's your index. So even if you were playing, uh, I've been playing at Breakmate, I'm going to go and play off the red tees at Breakmate. That's rated at 125. I know my six handicap is going to become seven. My handicap index of six, rounded for the course, the course rating, the slope, it's going to become seven. So I get seven strokes playing at Breitman. Okay. I know if I go to Royal Birkdale, actually that's got a rating of, off the top of my head, about 140. So I'm now going to get actually three more shots. So I'm going to go, instead of being six, I'm actually going to play off nine playing at Royal Birkdale. And when does the golfer find out then? So when they get to the golf course, is do they have something that tells them your six becomes nine today? Yeah, so as long as you know your handicap index, yeah. uh, there will be display charts available. Uh, you might even get a lookup app on your phone that works out what the... Once you know what the slope rating of the golf course that you're playing is, you then just punch in your handicap index and it tells you what your course handicap is for that particular day. But if you've played in, the, in Europe or in the US, you'll have seen the tables, exactly the same principle. Find your index, find the set of tees that you're going to play off and go out and play. So your handicap, your course handicap will change depending on the set of tees that you play. Mm-hmm. So you could play off a white set of tees and have a different course handicap than the yellow 
than the bed if the bed's rated for, for both genders and you can just go and pick a set of tees and go and play it. It's a lot to digest, isn't it? It is. <laughs> At the moment, I've got lots more questions, but yeah. it, is, it is really interesting. So, so, okay, so 2nd of November, I'm a member of a golf club, okay? Just hear me out. I'm a 10 handicapper normally, right? Yeah. 2nd of November, do I have to do anything different to get a new handicap index? Nothing at all. So we're going to do that all in the background for you. So if I've already played 20 rounds, you're going to take my, my best eight and take an average from my best eight. Correct. And give me a new handicap index. Yeah. So okay. basically we'll take your scoring record that we already have within the Congo system. We have to tweak it slightly. So we get rid of some columns out of your record and we have to recalculate bits of it. But ultimately we will, we will perform the WHS calculation on your current scores. So we'll take your last 20, work out based on the new calculations, what are your best eight and work out your index. Every player will be different. So some players might only have half a dozen scores in their record. Some people will have 20 plus scores in their record. And we're going back to 2018. So it doesn't matter whether you've only got six scores or whether you've got 26 scores, you'll still get an index if you've got a current Congo handicap. We just perform the calculation in a slightly different way. So, yeah, okay. So if, if you did have six rounds in the bank, let's say, of since 2018 to now, you would take four of those rounds or is it three three of them okay so we take three and then it goes four five and depending on how many you've got in okay, it's yeah. a sliding yeah. scale up to up eight to out of a maximum of 20 yeah so eight out of 20 quick i've got so many questions i don't I know, know which I know, order I to do them. I, know, One, I, I keep thinking of stuff so so listeners at home this might all be a bit sporadic but hopefully by the end of the podcast how long this ends up being you've got all the knowledge you need but so could someone that's let's say someone's been a 10 handicapper in the UK for the last 10 years and it's been their quest for single figures could they find out then on the second of say second of November that actually they're now nine because of the way it's worked out definitely and the other way around as well somebody could have been nine handicapper for a while going up point one, and now they wake up when they're off 10 yes do you expect to see some positive and negative feedback around that there's, then there's going to be a switch um, there's going to, some players are going to see a lower handicap index generated and they tend to be your more consistent players. Mm-hmm. So players that are very consistent will tend to find that they're going to come down. So your elite, your elite level golfers, um, we did some very, very early days, we did some examples of what might happen. And we picked out an elite golfer. And when I saw elite golfer, we weren't talking just in Rose Charlie Hull. We were just talking a good level golfer. So I picked James Crampton, who's our championship director, uh, he'll probably kill me for saying this, but uh, he is uh, plus 2.4 now. Put him through and he came out at plus 3.9 or something like that. Whoa. And he went mad. <laughs> yeah, I bet. But it's the fact that he has, he might have bad days, but those bad days are no longer in your best eight. So they don't, they don't count for anything. But he has consistent good days where he's always plus two plus three, plus two, plus three. And then he'll, he'll throw in a plus five mm. or a plus six. So because, that's going to go. Well, they're going to they're gonna be in. They're going to be in the best eight. But when he's had a, 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 he's played to seven or eight because he's had an absolute shocker, they're, 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 they're in the bin. So if you're an elite golfer, you might find that your handicap starts to come down. And elite, I'm talking sort of like five and below. If you're in that mid-range and you're correctly handicapped now, so you're a really consistent 10, 11, 12 handicapper, you'll probably find you stay the same. You're not going to get a lot of difference as long as you're correctly handicapped. And then the higher you go, 
the more disparity you might see. So a forty-five, a player with a Kongu handicap of 45 might find that they go up a little bit, um, a bit more than normal because they're not consistent anymore. They're not playing consistent golf every single week. They'll have a really good round, but then they might have seven or eight shockers. And there's a more likely to be in that, not in the best eight. So they're going to have bad scores in their best eight rather than getting rid yeah. of them. And then what's the reason behind having the point something then? Because obviously you you won't go up point one in a round, would you? So but it's it's just accuracy. Okay. So an average of of best eight, you don't want to round it too soon. I'm so you round obviously it, traditional maths. You'd round at the end to get the most accurate handicap yeah. for that player on a particular course. And how would buffer zones work then? Forget them. Okay. Just rip them up, put it in the bin. Just... Forget about that. Forget about buffer zones. Okay. There's so many things that we're saying, like, just forget about them. It's something right. that we've known for many years. My, my head's just a bit like... I like the sound of it. It's just there's so many things that I've known in the... How old am I now? 20 years of competition, pretty much, I've been playing. And I know Rick's not for a number of years, but same as you growing up, you've been ingrained with. I'm not saying they were right, but now as a change, it's like, okay, this is... So things that are going to go or stay, you ready? Yeah. Handicap categories. Go. Gone. Gone. We were talking about Category 1 bold before, weren't we? So there'll be no Category 1 bolds anymore. (laughs) Wow. So categories are gone. Handicaps going up and down, will they go up and down in the same quantity? Or how does it work? Because obviously the past... You're going up by an average. So you could, depending, if if you lose a really good score and throw in a really bad score into your best eight, Ah, you could go up by more than 0.1. But at the same time... You could go up by 0. 0.4, 0. 0.5, 0. 0.6. It depends on the score and what you're replacing it with as an average. Right, quick question for you then. I've got so many questions. But let's just say somebody's got a, a net 65 that was 19 competitions ago. Then their next round or round after that, that's going to go. So do you think people might start protecting the handicap more by sitting out of competition because they're not swinging great because they know that's going to go? Or No, because the best thing the best thing about the system is it's got some some control mechanisms in it. So it's got what we call a low anchor, which will basically work out what your lowest index has been in the last 12 months and mark that as a point. Right. So your handicap can't go too high above that low an- low, low anchor uh, because you're not, your ability doesn't change that much. You, you might have a bad spell, so your your current performance might, be, might change, but your ability doesn't. So an example would be you're a 10 handicapper in December. You then had... 20 rounds that were horrendous but because you've been 10 before you're not going to suddenly go to 28 no nope. right okay. you're going to keep you within five of that low index right. within a 12 month period ah, that's interesting is general play handicap adjustment staying or going there will still be handicap adjustments from the committee so you'll still have an annual review and those the committee will still be able to provide general play adjustments not call general play adjustments but just handicap adjustments if a player's ability doesn't reflect their index winter handicaps over here in the moment they've never actually existed all right in the handicap system winter handicaps don't exist well not typically if it, if the weather starts to get bad kind of no november yep. time the actual official handicaps don't get affected get affected us i guess because of temporary greens yep. and preferred lies and everything else and then typically handicaps will go back to normal again in april yeah we're not having any any sort of off season so the season is oh, is a good. year long so as long as you've got a qualified course, a measured course that's available to you uh, at your golf club, you'll be able to put a score in for handicap purposes. 
With preferred lies still. With preferred lies, uh, with restrictions on temporary greens. Yeah, yeah. So you can have like two temporary greens. That's interesting. Um, preferred lies you can use. So yeah, you can play off mats. If, if teas, excuse me, if teas need to be moved to be played off mats to protect tea boxes in the winter, that's fine. As long as it's a measured golf course, it, you can still play for handicap purposes. So will the course ratings change for courses when they are off winter teas? If they've been rated... They will have a different rating. And will most courses have to get rated? Uh, we've rated the majority of courses now. We've got about 500 around the country that we've not yet finished. But we, what we try and do is we rate courses that are going to be played all year round because it's the system is a, an all-year-round system. So if a club says, look, we, we tend to throw some mats down in this particular area um, right next to the white tee for the winter, if it doesn't change the yardage of the white course, they can continue to play off those mats. If they chuck them 25 yards down the fairway and say, this is now the white tee, it's not really relevant mm-hmm. to that white rating, so we wouldn't give them a rating. Uh, you have some tea, some clubs that have like a, a, a winter tee or a blue tee that they have permanently set up. Uh, we can rate those. So if it's a permanent tee, we can rate it. Otherwise, you've just got to put the mats within sort of like a couple of metres of the actual measuring point for it to be. So is that going to make golf courses do that a bit more potentially? Yeah, and also they can they can use the yellow tees. So many clubs say you've got to play off the white tees for handicap purposes. You don't. It's a, The yellow tees are measured as well. So it might just allow clubs to think actually in the winter we could just play yellow tee comps rather than white tee comps and it'd still be a qualifier and, and go into somebody's handicap. Um. Next question. <laughs> There's so many questions. I can interview this, isn't it? Next question. Um, so let's say, um, well, how, how do courses get rated? Is it is it past history, or do you actually go and map it, or do you, what do so you do? We actually have rating teams, uh, and our rating teams are all fully trained. Uh, they go through a, of a training program with us, um, and then they're part of the county. So our county union associations have teams of volunteers that will come and do a rating. Um, they physically turn up at the golf club. There's things that they need, measurements, certificates, copy of the scorecard, but they will literally walk the golf course and they will look at every hazard, every bunker depth, how close the trees are, how thick the rough is, how big the greens are, how much of the, the green protects the... the, the um, sorry, the bunkers protect the green, where out of bounds is... All, all the sort of elements that you come across playing... Weather? Yeah. So that's taken into consideration. Not necessarily, oh, it's raining today, yeah. oh, it's not. But typically in the but, region. So or... wind, wind is the what the biggest one because obviously you can't predict whether or not it's going to be sunny or, no, of course. or raining. But you can say what's the wind patterns. So is it on on the side of a hill, a Saddleworth type scenario up, up in the north? If it is, you know that you're going to get a higher wind rating. Whereas if it's in a valley and it's well protected, there's not going to be a lot of wind difference. So we look at the whole the course as a whole. We rate it for a scratch golfer and for a bogey golfer. And then we use that to calculate course and slope rating. Because that was something I read. I did a little tiny bit of research before this, but as I said, so small um, about slope rating. And that made sense because that was essentially, and you can articulate this much better than I can, but um, the golf course for a scratch handicapper versus an 18 handicapper. So my thinking was if a scratch golfer at a Parkland course goes to Birkdale, we keep using Birkdale, but goes to Birkdale, they might shoot a seven over par and, and not play great. But an 18 handicapper at that same parkland course is more likely to struggle breaking 100, aren't they? 
So the slope rating accounts for that. Is that yeah. right? So basically, yes. If you take a scratch, what we expect a scratch golfer to play, so we'd expect them to go around any golf course at 72, for example. So we've, we think they're going to play to this this particular course to 71.8, and we're that accurate. So it's yeah. not 72, it's 71.8. And is that calculated? Like yes. It's not just your team going out and going, this is this is notoriously tougher. It's So they take all those things into equation, pump it into a software? Yes. So, okay. so we basically have all our rates have a, a, a really, really well-built, well-designed Excel spreadsheet to start off with. And they go out and they measure everything and they record all the values. So they'll record how far from the middle of the fairway to the rough it is and how far from the middle of the fairway to the trees or to a bunker. They'll measure all that. That all gets pumped into the machine. It then spits us out on the Excel. It spits us out a number. We then transfer all that information onto a a piece of software provided by the WHS or the World Handicap System, um, which basically recalculates the course and slope rating for us. And we just check our Excel against theirs. Not that we don't trust that it works. It's just that for our raters, it gives them instant feedback. Otherwise, it'd be paper and pen and they'd have to get the calculator out to try and work out what it was. So it's that idea of we can give them instant feedback to say, yeah, you've rated that within 0.1 or whatever of your spreadsheet. That's the rating. Here's a question for you. I mean, it's still very, it's unbelievably interesting. Let's say there was a golf course and off the white tees, you had to carry the golf ball on average 185 yards to hit the fairway. Yeah. So for a scratch handicapper, that's not going to be an issue at all. They're yeah. not going to have no problems with that. Will they get a different course rating for a course like that com- compared to a, a handi- an 18 handicapper who can't carry the ball 185 yes. yards? So we have a, a course rating, which is for the scratch player. And then we have something called a bogey rating, which is for that bogey golfer. So 18 for men um, and around about 21, 22 for women. Sorry, I've got that wrong. 21 for men and about 24 for women is where we aim for a bogey rating to be. And the idea being that those players, like you just said in that example, won't carry the ball 185 yards. They might carry it 180 yards, but then we'll expect them to have 10 yards of roll. Well, they're not getting that now because they've just landed in some thick heather. Mm-hmm. So therefore, we, we rank that slightly harder for that particular player. So they'll get. So you might get a, a course rating of 71.8 and a, and a bogey rating of 98.2 which actually shows that that course is a lot harder for the bogey player. If you then plot those on a graph, so if we, had a, we do, if we drew a, a, a graph, scratch player here, bogey player here, and drew a line, you'd get a slope. Mm-hmm. And oh, okay. that's where slope rating comes ah, from. Okay. So that slope can extend beyond the scratch player for the plus handicap golfers, yeah. because they're going to be work, work their course handicap out differently as well. And then obviously beyond the bogey player for those players in that higher realms of, of handicapping. It kind of works quite well, that word slope rating. And one for that example of a graph, but I always think a slopier golf course is really harder. <laughs> right, I always think it? of it as like slopey. Yeah. And is that is that right? A sl- higher slope rating. I know it's not on slopes, but a higher slope rating is a harder golf course. No, not oh. at all. I think that's that's one of the myths. So I thought really, that was, that's what I thought. Yeah, no. It's really good to myth bust at the same time. So it is a myth that actually that isn't the case. The difficulty of a golf course has to be done based on the course rating. So if a course is rated at 72 and you've got a golf course down the road that's 74, the one that's rated 74 is harder. Irrelevant that the slope rating might be lower, 
it doesn't matter. The slope is the difficulty between the, t- the scratch golfer and the bogey player. If a course rating's higher and the slope's lower, it means that the difficulty factors that the, bo- the scratch player faces don't affect the bogey golfer. So, for example, if you've got a, a pond at 220 yards off the tee, blocking your drive as a scratch golfer, you know you can't hit driver now because you're going to end up in that pond. You're going to have to adjust your shot for a bogey player they're still hitting full out driver because mm-hmm. they're not getting anywhere near it so the hazard affects you but doesn't affect them as the bogey player so that's where the difference comes and difficulty should always be done based on the course rating not slope <laughs> so my, i'm a little bit lost with that what my question would be i know you've you've obviously with us today and you've got an hour or whatever, and go through it and ask you all your questions. But how is this going to then go out to golfers at golf courses who are going to have as many questions as we have, if not more? Yeah. So we we started our education program back in October last year. We actually started it the year before, but it was a drip feed. So last year was our big one. We started in October, and luckily we got the majority done before uh, COVID hit. So we, we we were just two or three short of actually finishing our workshops. We did eighty six. Uh, workshops within counties so we were educating your handicap secretaries uh, your club managers your handicap committees from there on we have been working uh, over with a with a, a toolkit so basically we've now designed a toolkit uh, which actually uh, goes out to golf clubs on the 14th of july so last week in in, in real terms as we are talking today um so that'll go out to golf clubs and that'll be an education pack for golf clubs to help educate golfers so now the onus is on the actual golf clubs themselves to start to educate their members. So that's our first step into the continuous education of golfers. Um, we'll also be launching an educational campaign from England Golf uh, called Know the Score, which hopefully makes sense because you want to know your score mm-hmm. and how that affects your handicap. So the whole point of it being is that between now and November, the the toolkit gets launched into golf clubs. We start seeing uh, literature out in golf clubs, the rules of handicapping, will hit golf clubs uh, end of July, beginning of August. And from then on, it'll start to ramp up uh, and you'll start to see more about the changes that the World Handicap System is going to have over the next couple of months. And is this global? You know, is it, it, it obviously you're talking from an England golf perspective. If I'm a listener from in America right now, is something similar happening over there? Well, the, the USGA have already gone live. So they went live back in January. Right. So if you're listening in the US, you've already got your, your WHS handicap index and you've already been using it. And then most people convert, you have to convert straight over, right? Yes. So as soon as, as soon, every country's going at a different different point, but we've all been given the task of trying to go this year. Uh, so Australia, New Zealand, the USGA, South Africa, Argentina went early on. Um, so who's left? England? It, well, so Great Britain. Europe, yeah. So Congo, Europe. Uh, and there's some parts of sort of like Asia that haven't yet switched over. Um, and we're all going to go when we're ready. So for different reasons, we're all going at different times. There's parts of Europe that are going live during the summer this year. Uh, but then some of them aren't going live till very, very early 2021. Um, but we made the decision that the end of end of this season was probably the right time. Uh, so 2nd of November was, was the... A lot can happen in three years, like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at uh1.com. 
millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. ...date that we earmarked because majority of clubs sort of like summer competitions are over and done with. We're coming into that quiet period of yeah. not a lot of golf being played. Changing on the 2nd of November for, for GB and I, and England specifically, gives us time for people to get used to it over the winter so that by the time they're coming into next March, ready for the start of the season, everybody should know what they're handicap doing. Handicap geeks. Hopefully. <laughs> you get a load of handicap geeks. I'm, I'm willing to have them. <laughs> um, is Just going slightly off topic, but obviously still about handicaps. Was Kongu the longest... Um, first established handicap system like what was the which who which which jurisdiction has it been the biggest change for is it Congo or is it you because I feel like a lot of this has been done in the US in the past everybody has had change yeah nobody has gone with no change so the exact the best example I can give you is the USGA you used to use 10 out of 10 out of 20 and they've now gone to 8 out of 20 so they've had that change they've introduced things like net double bogey which we've been used to mm-hmm. within the Congo system yes. for a number of years. They never had that. The USGA and, the, and some of the guys in the US haven't got a clue what a net double bogey is, let alone how that works in so terms of So for people listening, from my understanding, that's the, that was the worst score you could actually put in uh, for your handicap, right? Yeah. A net double bogey on, on a particular hole. So if yep. you had a 12, it just got brought back down to net double bogey. Correct, correct. So for the, for the other parts of the world, they've not done that before, so that's new for them. Whereas for us, things like adjusting your handicap for the course, so that slope rating idea is, is new for us. Um, things that are new for us, we're now going to an averaging, so 8 out of 20, new for us. Uh, but some things are staying consistent. So we're still, I said, we're keeping net double bogey, that's still in the system. We still have something like the current CSS calculation, which takes into consideration the scores that are played on a particular day. Mm-hmm. So for us, we're used to that with CSS. It's just got a new name. It's called a, a playing conditions calculation. That again. So will that get introduced to every competition? Every day, not even a competition. So even if you don't have a competition on a particular day, but there are a group of people or different groups all go out and decide they're going to submit a score for handicap purposes, all those scores will come together to create a playing conditions How calculation. How many golfers do you need to have a player condition? Eight. Eight. So as long as you've got eight scores in the system, 
And it doesn't have to be eight players playing at the same time. It could be two in the morning, two in the afternoon, two at lunchtime, whatever it might be. As long as you've got eight scores on that day from that course, you get a PCC. So you can now, and again, correct me if I'm wrong in this, you can now submit a round. Let's say me and Guy went and played tomorrow. We're both amateur golfers. I'm off 10. Guy's off like 27 or something. (laughs) (laughs) 27.5. We can decide we're going to put cards in for our handicap you will be able from the 2nd of november you will be able you can't do now you can't do now you can if you're playing at your home club so if you're playing at the same golf club where you're both members you can decide to put in a supplementary score you go to the pro or or to the secretary and say i'm going to put a score in today do you have to do that first with the new rule as well yeah exactly the same so this is continuing and obviously if rick goes actually to 100 905 we have to still put that in correct because you've pre you've pre pre-registered the score and then last thing i'm sure i know the answer but we can't decide on the on the third hole we've both had birdie birdie start won't do a scorecard it has to be you've got to decide before you go out to play interesting and it sounds ridiculous and you know i'm only clearing everything up to have an official handicap score you have to play correctly by the rules correct no gimmies no it has to be correct normal stroke play regulations yeah so again you do it as a a stable foot yeah yeah so this is where again it's going to differ slightly depending on where you are in the world. So every every handicap authority, so the six that we talked about earlier, have all been allowed to tweak the rules a little bit to suit their golfing cultures. So we were allowed to say what we wanted to happen in GB&I around pre-registering social scores because we felt that it wasn't right within our golfing culture that you couldn't just go out if you wanted to with your mate and have a knockabout and not worry about it. And we all like doing that, just a bit of a Sunday knock or whatever mm-hmm. it might be, without the pressure of having to mark a scorecard. But at the same time, there's people that that's the only opportunity that they get to put a score in. They don't play comps, whatever Correct. reason. Yeah. So we need to still give them that ability. So what we said is you pre-register and then it'll give you that ability to put a score in if you want to. In other parts of the world, you either have to put the card in every time you go out and play or you can choose to put the card in. So it depends where you are. Uh, but we're being pretty much very similar to where we do it in Congo now. You pre-register anything that isn't a competition round, but all competition rounds have to go in. So if it's a singles competition, there's no non-qualifying scores as the, there has been previously in the Congo system. If it's a competition, the score goes in. This is stroke play, stableford. Yes. Match play obviously still Match doesn't. Match play still doesn't. Four ball, better ball still yeah. doesn't. Because um, we, we were speaking to, um, well, Brody from America. Mm-hmm. And we were speaking to him at the Open last year. And the way he works his handicap in the US was totally different. Like we'd never heard of it, like, had we? It sounds more similar to this now, it? does it? But he was almost putting his score in all, every single yeah. time. Yeah. All the time, all the time, all the time. And I'm not sure if he ever... Yeah, I don't think you had to register it in the nope. past. And so do you still not in the US? In the US, no. You have to put a score in every time you go out and play. So if you go out and play, you're supposed to return your score in the US. Even if it's just a friendly knock? Yeah. I don't Even like if that. it's just gimmies? Yeah, because they allow gimmies. Even if it's gimmies? The US allow gimmies. They allow gimmies? So not in competi- normal competitions. Depends on the competition rules. No way. <laughs> is there a limit on the length? That's good. No. So I'm playing with Rick. Rick's my best mate. He's we, got play, a, we play every week <laughs> He's got a 34 on the last week's best ever score. I go, you know what, Richard? That's a gimme, that is, mate. So they, they, <laughs> they use something called most likely score, which it's going off on, on a different tangent, but it's one of the reasons that within GB&I, we didn't want to go down that route because it's so alien to us that we know your whole eight. If you're playing for handicap, you've got a card in your whole eight. We have to keep that. Um, and it was one of the bits that we said 
we're quite happy to sort of like relax the rules around some bits, but actually we want this and we're not going to let this go. Where, where did this come from? Whose idea was WHS? Uh, it was a, a basically a conversation between um, some very, very clever people uh, who work for, who volunteer within the USGA and the, and the RNA and staff members. Who so said, it, so it, was, it was transatlantic, it was yeah. US and UK. Yeah, so the USGA and the RNA sat together, uh, one open championship, because I think it was 2012, and had the conversation of, do you think we should bring the handicapping bodies around the world together? Um, and they set out, sent out a questionnaire and said, do you think this is a good idea? And the majority of people came back and said, yes, but it depends what it looks like. And then in 2015, they started like a working group, uh, which was, became the World Handicap Operations Committee. Uh, and they started to look at all the different opportunities and, and the good bit. Basically, we did a review of every single system in the world and said, what works? What doesn't work? What's really good? What do we like? What do we not like? What do golfers like? What do they not like? Let's put it all together and let's see if we can create a system. And sort of like October last year was when we finally just went, we've done we've we've done all we can do we've got it to the best we can um and that was sort of like the 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 end of what we're calling like the first cycle of saying that's the world handicap system ready do you think it'll get updated over the next few years yeah it's on a four-year revision cycle so the first couple of years we might tweak it depending on how the reaction goes around the world but ultimately it will sit alongside the rules of golf so it will it will transition so when the rules of golf get reviewed every four years the same thing will happen with the handicap system. And do you expect, we said earlier on, I think you say it was 18 or something, the average in the UK, 17.8 or whatever it was. Do you expect that to change much up or down? It could go either way. I don't think it'll change dramatically. I think we'll probably find it'll go up because we've got more golfers that are higher handicaps than we've got lower golfers, yeah. if you know what I mean. Um, so we'll probably find it will go up slightly, but nothing that's Nothing only because massive. obviously when you're going to play a golf course, your handicap will now get sloped, where at the moment we don't. So that's just your, your number wherever you play. The only, I think it sounds really good. The only thing I think I probably would potentially not like, and I don't know what other people, this might be a weird thing of mine, but say if I'm a full handicap golfer at my home course, and I'm going to use once again Royal Birkdale's analogy, but... He's just trying to get a membership at Royal I would love <laughs> to play at Royal Birkdale. Um, have you never played Royal Birkdale? No, he's never taken me, right? Um, <laughs> but now I'm my... sure Gemma knows a few people. <laughs> I, we used to play, I was very, very good that when, I, when we played as a junior, I played with the Lancashire girls and uh, there used to be a thing that we used to play either Birkdale or Lytham every year and it used to cost us two quid. Oh, oh my God. And we, it was always like February time, so it was always like cold and raining and, and horrendous weather. But, but still, the, two quid. Two quid. Yeah. And it was like, it was the first thing on the calendar when like the the, the, the end of the competitions came through. The first thing you used to do is like go, Dad, Dad, can I get, get my name on that one, get my name on that one, send that one in. Well, even even the junior competition at Robertdale is super cheap. Yeah. I think I'm sure it's like £15 if you want to be a... Sorry, any, oh, I can't remember in this thing. I've not <laughs> played Royal Birkdale and you offer two quid. <laughs> <laughs> no, what I was going to say was, so my, hand, what was it called, playing handicap? Yeah. Might be seven on that day. Your course handicap. Could be that, could be seven. Yeah. But then I might feel like, no, I am a four handicap. I want to play a four. Do you know what I mean? I want to challenge myself. Yeah, and that's fine because by the time you've put your score in, we de-slope it again because of the difficulty of that golf course to work out what your index is. Yeah. So we don't work your index out on your course handicap. We still work that out based on your index, but you need seven shots to play Birkdale. Right. Because otherwise you would never get anywhere near it. Yeah. So it's about saying your, your course handicap is the number of strokes you need to play a particular course 
your index is your ability. And then there's no standard scratch? There is. It's course rating now. It's right, a okay. cha- Just a change in terminology. It's yeah. the same thing. But you need eight players to get that, don't you? No, that's a playing conditions calculation. CSS. Okay. What is currently CSS? Yeah. Only because I'm asking for myself, and it's probably, I think I know the answer. Does any of this affect professional golfers? Well, actually, it does. Okay. Or it could do. Uh, so as of 2nd of November... As a professional golfer, if you're uh, registered and you're a member of a club, uh, you can hold a handicap. Oh, Sweet. Nice. I can get my 12 handicap. <laughs> <laughs> so you, oh, that's you, interesting. Yeah, a lot of the, a lot of the players, like a lot of the, the US like tour players have handicaps. Yeah, I know. I've always seen that. I've seen the US guys have yeah. handicaps because they play in like members competitions, yeah, so don't they? they'll play in the, in the local members competitions. And exactly the same, we'll be able to do that over here. Will there be a maximum handicap for a pro? Nope. I've got a really good content idea now for you, Rick. Quest for single figures. Round <laughs> 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 Robert. Yeah. You should start get 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 yourself a membership somewhere in. Uh, I think I've got two memberships to be fair. Yeah. So yeah, could that be really good. And then this is a really random one. We're on the subject of pro golf. Will that affect the handicap requirements to do your PGA training? Not a clue. Okay. Uh, that, that's that's that a question one. for somebody from the PGA. Um, but I would imagine they will have to look at that just as the way that we're having to look at competition entries. So like. I think the Brabazon's always been about 0.4 or something. You have to have some ridiculously low handicap to get into the Brabazon. Well, that might change depending Mm. on once we've done the transition in November, we'll be able to look and say, okay, what is the line that we draw for events? How often do people have to stay on top of their current handicap? So in the Congo system, you've got to put three in a year. Under the world handicap system, there's no limit. So there's no restriction. You don't have to put a a number of scores in per year. So as long as you maintain your golf club membership you will always have a handicap index. And is that the only way to get a handicap index? You have to be a member of a golf club. Yeah, we've been asked that quite a lot on social media. That was one of the questions we were going to come to. Yeah, so in order to have a handicap index under the new system, you will have to be in membership at an affiliated golf club. So, you know, I I mean, I don't know if you, you know, advocate with them or not, but these online handicap systems, are they legit? No. At all? Nothing? They're, they're They're not an official handicap system. Um, a lot of play, a lot of golf clubs will accept them for entry into things, uh, but our, our is, we always go with the official. So at the moment it's Congo, and obviously they'll then go to WHS. Do you think golf clubs are going to put things in place where you can potentially be, let's say, for example, Guy was a member of a golf club, he decided not to rejoin. Do you think golf clubs are going to be able to put a, in something in place where it's like £100 for the year and you can hold your handicap at the golf club? I think it will make golf clubs big. Golf clubs will get better and and um, do more, sort of like working at what keeps members and keeps members involved. Um, for us, ultimately, it's golf club membership that, that what drives England golf. We want people to be a member of a golf club. Um, ultimately, that's our that's our end game. So whatever golf clubs can do to get more members is is up to them golf clubs. We've got 1,800 little businesses here um, that, that can do whatever they want. Just in England. Though. Just in England. So 1,800 golf clubs just in England. Wow. All of those are businesses and how they choose to get members and increase membership and retain members is, is up to them. But we as England Golf can help and support them do that. Okay. Questions? Yes, we had. I must admit. This we, is great, Gemma. You, you've been unbelievable <laughs> well, so far. We, we took, Your we, knowledge has been phenomenal. The way you've explained it has been really good. Um, it's 
it's taking time to digest a little bit. Yeah. I'm sure it is with our listeners, and I'm sure until people actually get the ball rolling, exactly, it's it's still not quite fully clear. So hopefully we've done a decent job on the podcast today to explain it the best we can. I trust that it's simple enough. It's just so many new terminology that we're yeah. not used yeah. to, There's... and it, it might be actually simpler for newer golfers, weirdly, who aren't as used to yeah. the old words. It's, it's the change, isn't it? Nobody really likes change, and no, and, and we say this all the time: nobody likes change at all. Uh, so it's, it's about how we manage that change and to try and, and keep things similar and familiar in some respects, but understand that we're going to have to. I just want to pick up on one thing that we were talking about handicaps before. Okay. Um, so a bit of research from me. You asked me what my handicap was likely to be. Mm-hmm. Um, well, you're 3.8. Yes. Well, yeah, yeah, I'm not a fisher member this year. So, but yeah. so, so you've not rejoined, but you, you, your last known handicap was 3.8. Okay. I'm so a bit, a bit of calculation. Um if we were to transition to the World Handicap System today, mm-hmm. based on your scores, and you only had eight scores yeah. between now and, and the 1st of January 2018, your handicap index would be 3.1. Oh, you'd be better. So obviously, depending on where you play... <laughs> just made it all cocky now. You'd slope it up a little bit, yeah, depending yeah. on where you play. Um, so you'd probably still you know. play off four. Um, yeah, yeah. So when I go and take him to... Four anyway. When I take him to Robertdale... He's probably going to be off about six. (laughs) Rick will be off 12. I'm joking. Um, I wonder if more pros are going to get handicaps. I think you should definitely. It'd be fun. I think think it's about bringing the the role within a golf club. So a lot of pros in a golf club probably themselves don't feel that they get to play enough. And they're not scratch handicappers. Because they're sitting in the shop and they're doing the, the, the pro things, the teaching, and they don't actually get the opportunity. And when they do... They're having to pitch up and play against members and play off scratch. Yeah. And like you said, a lot of them aren't scratch golfers and they'll admit that. And this way, at least then they can compete. And can, well, do you think they'll be able to play in professional, uh, in competitions at the club or not? Is that going to be no, down to no, the club? it'll be up to the golf club. It should do if you've got a handicap again. I think that's a good, like you said, it's a common myth that people think that they're pro in their shop because they don't have a handicap or a scratch golfer. <laughs> but every, <laughs> I've just thought that every pro is going to try and compete in every club comp so they can win their own pro shop vouchers. <laughs> So nobody has to spend money in the pro shop. Well, not. not I tell you what would be bad though. The pros handicap would be like eight or something, and like every golfer then that's at the club who's better than eight just thinks they're better than the pro. Then that could be quite a bit of a dangerous one. It is. Um, So yeah, we've had loads of questions off social. Sorry, Rick. I just interrupted you then. I've got a few. I have got a few more bits to go. But okay, we can. Do you want to do yours first? The one thing I want to know is handicaps are often um, subject to. I'm going to say it cheating. Yeah. Right. I don't think it's any myth. There, there, there are. horrible people out there who manipulate their handicap for their own advantage yeah that's how i got to 3.8 by the way so. <laughs> 3.1 now yeah what's that? is is the world handicap system gonna prevent help aid what i don't know i don't know the answer to this is it gonna stop cheating potentially you can't build a system to stop cheats um if anybody's gonna cheat no matter what it is whether it's a golf handicap or anything, anything. They'll cheat. They'll find a way around it. Um, the system is designed to be as robust as it possibly can be, and the safeguards in place. And this is the thing that we want people to understand: that the safeguards in place within the system to stop people going up too fast. So those players who want to build a handicap so that they can play in certain prizes and win certain prizes, there's going to be limits to how much they can go up in that's a certain good. time. So period. That, that's a, that is a good. Defense so it's a, it's a defense system. And then the other way as well. So those players that are improving quite dramatically and we need to get their handicaps down, there's a similar process to the ESR that we currently have. So if you're an improver, your handicap's going to come down. We're still having committee 
um, reviews. So there's still going to be an annual review process. So the committee within a golf club can say, actually, sorry, Rick, your, your handicap no longer reflects your ability. So we're going to have to change it from whatever resources they've got to, to make that statement. Um, and also peers. So you two have gone out and played and, and the guy comes and says, I'm pretty sure that Rick had a, a 75 there, not a 78. Mm-hmm. You can challenge it. And as a player, you can you can ask your committee to have a look and say, well, I'm pretty certain that I'd marked 78 on Rick's card. How did, how did it get into the system as a 75? Mm-hmm. And then you can check it. So it's what they call peer review. So we've put other things in place, like a check and challenge. But ultimately, like I said, you can't build a system no, it's just, cheats. I just, you know, it's it's one of the, my pet hates. Yeah. Certainly if you're playing like a, a corporate day or a, or, a you know, a charity day. Because again, it's so like laps handicapped sometimes in days like that. <clears throat> Is there going to be anything in place where it's it's a certificate on your phone is you know because at the moment i still and again i've been out of the loop so long is it easy to actually get your handicap like certificate because that used to always be a pain in the ass yeah, when so i used to be a junior you can you can get them from your club or your golf club is where you should go to get it um but a lot a lot of them you can get on your phone you can get as a as a, as a digital certificate uh we do like a, an england golf card that can show you what your handicap is and you can have it and certainly moving into the new system you'll be able to have the app that will show you what your handicap is on a particular day with your CDH number. It's more showing organisers of competitions, etc. You know, if you're playing in the corporate day, I'm always suspicious about some of the scores yeah. that end up coming in. Um, and it'd be nice if there was an actual, yeah, that is my handicap. Yeah. You have there's, to see that first, whatever it may be. It's twofold. So we want the competition organisers to get a little bit savvy about this and say, look, we want to check players' handicaps and we'll give them the ability to do that so that if they've got the CDH number of a player in advance, they can check it. Yeah, we know it's genuine, that's fine. But also, when you were talking before about online handicaps and other types of handicap systems, because we can't control those, we would always say, you you should really be going with the official here. If they've not got an official handicap, it's at your own risk whether you allow them to play or not because you don't know how genuine that, that is. At least with the actual handicap you know it's been calculated correctly it's had the right appeals and everything's been put in place in the, in the right way so that there shouldn't be any issue one i think one of the things that i think is really interesting in i don't know if i'm alone in this i'm sure there's other people but if i go and play golf and don't play to my handicap i feel quite disappointed but often you hear these stats if you should play to handicap x amount of times but the very fact that this is 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 done from your best eight of 20 kind of reinforces the fact that actually you should only really play to your handicap when you play well, I'm guessing. Is yeah. that true? It's, at the moment, you should play to your handicap about a third of the time. Right, wow. So two thirds of the time, we're not expecting you to be anywhere near your handicap. Yeah. So if you take the same that same rationale with best eight out of 20, that's a bit right. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, well, I remember when I used to do the, the, the competitions at Mia, let's say there was 100 players playing in the day, there'd be 10 possibly 15 players who played to the handicap yeah. and three or four played below it and they're, they're your top three. Typically, yeah. that's what you'd, what you'd see in a good organised mm. handicap system. So let's say, just very quick, and we are going to get into questions. I'm a 10 handicapper, okay? Well, my handicap index is 10. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Let's, try and, let's try and talk, okay? I'm playing in a corporate day at Royal yeah. Burtdale. It's a best two from four corporate day, yeah. okay? So I turn up to the organised and they say, what's your handicap index? I say it's 10.1. Yeah. Okay. You will then tell me the course index. So they'll tell you what your course handicap will be. Which is what, so roughly, Gemma? Roughly, if you said 13. Okay, so I'm now playing off 13. Yeah. 
Then they say it's best two from four and it's 80% of your handicap. Yeah. Is that 80% off my 13? Yes. Okay. Yeah. It's 80% of your course handicap. So any handicap allowance that will be applied to the format of play that you're playing is taken from your course handicap. Do you like percentage or did you prefer fractions when it used to be done fractions? Just a personal question. Do you have to say percentage? I have to say percentage, don't I? <laughs> I, I, think, I, feel, I feel like you against it. <laughs> it I does, don't like the percentage, no, personally. I, I think it, it depends on what you're trying to do because 75% or, or two, uh, three quarters, whatever we used to play, was never enough. And nine tenths was always too much. And then you try and find the mid and you're saying yeah, like... Seven, seven, 75%. So um, we have got, I must admit, a lot, we, had, we had loads of questions I'm sure you saw on Twitter and on the Facebook page as well. I then n- noted down some of the best ones. And to be honest with you, in a good way, the vast majority we have actually um, gone through. However, um, we've got a couple of good ones left. But one thing I just want to ask you before we get into the question, this is a bit of a weird one, but I thought this right from the start. Now that you're saying that there's going to be different, um, oh, I've got the name, but for different tees, different like ratings. ratings. And, do you think that might you might see more people changing tees. So for example, you might see more gents going off the forward tees just because they fancy a change and you can. Yeah, I think so. I think what we'll tend to find, and we're, we're getting golf clubs now asking for the red tees, and I'm not going to say ladies tees, I'm mm-hmm. going to say the red tees, that are traditionally a ladies tee, they're asking for them to be related for men, mm-hmm. which is fine, we can do that. Um, because they're getting, not golfers aren't getting any younger, we know this with the demographic, and as, as players get older, they can't get over the hazards. They start to struggle. They want to play a shorter golf course. Fine. Gives them that opportunity, keeps me membership a bit longer. But also you have the reverse of that. That If you're so used to playing a particular golf course from a particular set of tees, it just becomes like you don't even think. Mm-hmm. So by changing which set of tees you play from, it's going to make you think about a golf course. Yeah. And the exam- the best example I can give was we'd, we'd held a, like a taster day um, at a golf club in Staffordshire. And the pro that day said he was going to play off the red tees. And he said, oh, I'll murder it off the reds. And then he came in and he was going, um, <laughs> I can't hit my driver on the, 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 the holes anymore because I'm now in trouble. That's the point, isn't it? That you, You're playing a different golf course. You've, it's the same course, but you're now playing it from different places. You've got to think your way around it a little mm. bit more. So, yes, it's good for keeping people in the game or when you stop, you, you lose your ability and you might want to move forward and still play. But at the same time, you can also mix it up to challenge yourself. It's a bit of fun, isn't it? That's the thing. Like if I went to my, what is was my home course, I'm not a member this year, as I said, I'd always just go off the whites. As, in just a practice round, because you're allowed to, they'll play off the whites. But actually, you've got an extra two different tees. Like, yeah. I would never go off the forward tees or the reds, whatever. Um, but in a way, why not? Like for a laugh, for a Would change. you ever be able to have a competition where people would be playing off different yes. tees? White tees, yellow yep. tees, red tees, doesn't MT, matter. No, doesn't matter. Doesn't matter. Really? Mixed genders. We can all play in the same comp yeah, together. Yeah. And um, and also mixed genders could play off a yellow tee if they wanted yeah, to. Yeah, so we, we're rating ladies tees. We're rating yellow tees for ladies. Yeah. Um, we, we don't tend to rate very many white tees because they're just too long. Apart from for the, a very small number of elite players that would, would love it, the, the, they're just too they're too long for the majority of club golfers. Well, I, I've played with Kylie Booth several times. She would play off most white tees yeah. and not not worry at all. No. But she is literally at the exactly. must be what the top end range of length of hitting yeah. of a driver. Um, but it's the same. I I grew up playing golf with my brother, 
and and the other lads that I played, and I would never play if I was just playing a knock event with the lads. I would never go off the off the reds because you, the social was, was yeah. You want to be included, don't included, you? With it, yeah. So I went and played off the yellows or the whites. And if I now go and play golf with my brother, I have to play with him off the white tees because I don't get a choice. Um, I played last year. We played in the US and we're playing with with some friends. My wife and and one of our friends went and played off the reds, and and me and my friend's husband went and played off off the blues. And the guy at the golf club was going, "I don't think you can play off these these tees, madam. You should be down there." And I was like, "No, trust me, I'm all right. I'll, you don't I'll tell you don't tell me where to tee off from." <laughs> but I'm, you do you do get that? I know. I I I think it's my biggest pet hate with golf clubs that don't let you play off the competition tees. I hate it. Yeah. I think, honestly, I think it's one of my biggest pet hates. The only way I get it is if you've got a massive tournament the next week yeah. and want to keep it pristine. But I think it's it? ridiculous. Yeah. I, I do. Um, Guys determined to get some of these questions. No, I just, we're, I'm just thinking we're probably going to wrap. We've got an hour. That's gone fast, hasn't it? We could <laughs> probably... the intro. We were about eight, a minute, an hour, ten minutes. Yeah, it's been... We, we sat Gemma down and said, we'll probably just be half an hour here. <laughs> I knew, yeah, and it wouldn't be. So anyway, got, I'm going to ask two questions. Okay. Uh, one off Twitter, one off Facebook. It might sound a bit strange. The Facebook one's a bit of a... Not the nicest question, but I want to hear your thought on it anyway. So from Twitter, it's off James, and he just says, so I'm just picking up golf again. What exactly will I need to do to get handicapped under the new system? Okay. Great question. Very good question. So whether you're an existing golfer, so if you're an existing golfer, we're going to transition your handicap, Mm. so you don't need to worry too much. If you're new to the game or you're coming back to the game after having not played for a period of time, very similar to what we do under the Congo system. Once you're a member of a golf club, you can then start to work on your scores to, to get your first handicap. And it will be 54 holes worth of scores. So six nines, three eighteens, any combination of the above. It doesn't matter if it's six, ni- six nines. Nope, it can be six nines, it can be three eighteens, it can be one eighteen. What, what does it have nines. to be right now? Does it have to be three eighteens? No, again, at the moment within the Congo system, it can be any combination. And is so that... it's just 54 holes to get your initial handicap. And is that a global way of getting your handicap? Let's so, say somebody's listening in the US, is that similar? Yeah, so it's three, three scores. Uh, as they, they, they call it three scores in the US, but it's 54 holes. Great. So as long as you've got a total number of scores, that 54 holes worth of scores. You have to play with a member? Depend, you have to play with somebody responsible to mark your card, and that'll be locally. So a golf club might say, we want you to play with, you can play with anybody. As long as they're, they're, they've marked your card and, and we, we, we appreciate that they've, they've done a good job at that. It could be that we want you to play with a member of the handicap committee or a captain or whoever it might be. Clubs can, can they've got a bit of flex there to say who can mark those initial cards. We would say just be as open as anything. As long as you've got two people that can count, then they should be able <laughs> yeah. to yeah, mark fair. the scorecard. No, I've never learned today a lot about the new handicap system. I've learned a lot about the Kongu handicap system that I didn't know. Yeah. Like even that, then that you can play nine holes to get your No, I didn't handicap. know that. Like, I didn't I, know I, but, that. And there's a few other things earlier on. And I think that used to be a big barrier for people to get three 18 holes in. Yeah. You know, certainly if you're first starting, certainly for kids, it's but it's hard. hard yeah. like playing 18 holes is hard. Is. Of course it is. Okay, so this is a weird question, admittedly, but I just want to hear your thought on it. <laughs> it's from um, Alan on Facebook, and he says, I believe the max handicap will now be 54. Is it only me who finds that to be ridiculous? I am all for more people being encouraged to take up golf, but there has to be a level of performance before competition, surely. 54 over par is not competitive, in my honest opinion. So it's it's a good question. It's one that I've heard a number of times. Uh, and I think the point is, if you're brand new to the game and you're not ready for competition yet, but you need to be able to to draw a line in the sand to see if you're getting better. And 36 doesn't give that for people. It used to be a maximum of 36. Mm-hmm. 36 never gave that to people because they couldn't see if they were improving. 
because they were still never getting any nearer to 36. So this way, by having 54, allows you to draw a line in the sand and say, okay, now I'm going to see myself improve. And the more people see themselves improve, the more likely they are to stick with the game. If you're Mm -hmm. not going to get any better, you're just going to put the clubs back in the garage and and not worry about it. I think the biggest fear for a 54 handicapped golfer is they can comfortably shave 15 shots off their game in one round of golf. And I think Alan's probably concern and other people's is if that 54 handicap golfer is playing in the competition with a 10 handicap golfer and hundreds of other golfers, they've got a better chance of winning the competition, potentially. They, they haven't got a better chance in terms of the actual, the way that the handicap system works means that everybody's on a, a level playing field. And what people don't understand is actually that a lower handicap player has got more of a chance of winning than a higher handicap player because of something called bonus for excellence. We'll not go into it, but it's built it in. Sounds the good system. though. So basically, <laughs> bonus of excellence. Bonus for excellence because you're an excellent player. We're going to give you a little bit of bit of an advantage. Nice. Um, and that's what's built in within within the current system and within WHS. But for for a high, what we're basically saying, it is a fear of golfers that you're going to have all these high handicap players coming in and winning competitions. It's up to the golf clubs to sort of think about that. If they've got a large number of high handicap players, run a comp for the high handicap players because mm-hmm. those high handicap players are not going to want to play in the monthly medal off the white tees because they're never going to get the ball round. And they're yeah. going to feel intimidated if they've got to play with somebody off 10 or 6 or 2. So put a competition on that's for them. Put a stable foot on off the yellows, which is a little bit more achievable. And if they have a bad hole, they pick it up and they don't worry about it. And set your competition criteria and who can enter competitions based on your membership. Every golf club will be different. Your club champs, you always have a a handicap limit for your club championship. You don't open it up to the whole golf club because you don't want, when you've got to play 36 holes in a day or over a weekend and you've got to get 140 guys round, you don't want somebody out there for five and a half hours. So you've, you've got to manage it and that's what golf clubs can do. I think what's quite interesting, just a quick one on this question of Alan's, and it's look at it a bit deeper, is although what you were saying, Rick, a 54 handicapper, Alan may be worried they're going to win, but actually he was saying there has to be a level of performance before competition play, surely. 54 over par isn't that. But that golf was still playing comps of 28 back Correct. in the day, shooting a million. Correct. So it doesn't actually, they're still there. It's, yeah. it's still the same golf. Well, I'm just thinking, I'm putting myself back in this scenario. I started playing golf when I was 11. My first ever registered round of golf was 125. So that is quick maths. Par 72. About 50 odd over par. I must admit, I realised straight away that I I had to get under 100 and I worked really, really hard to get under 100 super, super quick because I wanted to get a 28 handicap and be able to play to it. I'm just wondering, as much as I think you're right in this kind of bringing people in that are over that, and just not worry, but are people going to live in that world a little bit too long potentially? I think it depends on on you as a golfer. I, I get that. I get that. And it, I'd rather be uh, rather have them in the game than not in the game. Yeah, hundred percent. But I'm just thinking: do people get a bit comfy in that thirty odd zone when actually they could potentially push themselves a little bit more? But again, it depends on how much they want to. Exactly. I I, I gave an example um, a couple of years ago at a, a workshop, and this is a real life example of a guy who, and he's a member at Breitman. Uh, and he's been a, he was a 28 handicapper and in 15 years he'd never played 28 wow okay and i said to him when we when we went to in the congo system we, we were increasing the handicap for men I said 
do you realise you can now have a handicap of, I think we got him to about 47, I think was about the right place for him to be. And he was like, can I just have 40? I was like, why, why do you not want that? He says, well, I'm not bothered about winning in the club comps. He said, I enjoy, I enjoy playing. He said, I'd like to win some of my 50p's back. Because he played with his mates for yeah. 50p and he wasn't bothered about winning a club prize or a club trophy. He just wanted to feel that he could compete every now and again. And, and he came back to you six months and said, actually, can I have 54? <laughs> 54 sounds a lot but better. That's all he was bothered about. Yeah, no, and I think dues. the first time he went out and played with it, I think they ended up with like 44 or something. First time he went out and played, he came back and he went, I won two lots of 50p. <laughs> yeah, and that's first all, time ever. That's all he was bothered about. I must admit, and, and it's hard, I, re- I really try and focus when I'm talking about handicap, as as wide a spectrum of golfers as I, as I possibly can. But fortunately, I still sometimes come back to my own, yeah. you know, my own world living in handicap. But my, my world was bring my handicap down as quick as I can possibly get it down. Yeah. Like that was my world when I was a junior golfer. But I know people live in different parts of that handicap structure and yeah. that's that's fine. That's happy. I think you know, the thing is what, resonate, okay to do. what resonated then, what, what Gemma said is the fact that that 54 handicapper was it's still the same as the 28 handicapper five years ago, whatever, that couldn't shoot a score. Just having that little bit more fun now of coming home and going, I got 38 points today. Yeah. I played well today. Yeah, yeah. Well, I before get it was like I had 12 points. Yeah. You know, and it's, it, it's that self-belief of actually that that might encourage that player to come back the next week or to actually go and get some lessons. Yeah, possibly. Or to stick possibly. with it because mm-hmm. actually, I'm seeing an improvement like here. Yeah. So I'm going to have another go. I've got a question from Matt from Twitter. Uh, does anyone know if, I don't know why they said, does anyone know, but I end up getting dragged into this. Does anyone know if DQs, or so disqualified results, are yeah. included as part of the 20 rounds in the new World Handicap Calculation Method? So if your score is being, if, it's been, if you've been DQ'd for a specific reason, and it's, it's currently in your Kongu Handicap record, it will be carried over as a score, because some DQ scores can be acceptable for handicap purposes. What, not signing the card? Yeah, if there's a genuine reason why, like, for example, you forgot. So you forgot to sign the card, you've put it in, it's a genuine score. Your marker said, yeah, that's, that's what he actually said. He just forgot to sign it. Yes, that would go in. Does your handicap at the moment on Kongu get affected? Yes. So you could go up point one. So you could go, or you could come or down. Could down. But yeah. you, your name will still be at the bottom saying disqualified. Correct. So for the competition, you've been disqualified, but the score might still be acceptable for handicap purposes. Other disqualifications, such as cheating, out. Your handicap doesn't get affected, and it's out of the. Your handicap would be pulled up. The, the score wouldn't go into your record, basically. Yeah. And then, if it was something like manipulation, where a player has, has breached a code of conduct, or they've done something that's against the spirit and intent of the system, we would hope that a club would take action. And within the world handicap system, that could be something like a penalty score. So they could put in a score into the record to sort of counterbalance what the effect that that player was trying to have on their on their score. So if they were trying to get it up, the handicap? You'd put a low score in. And, and if, if they were trying, trying to get, get it down, down you'd, put, well, you'd put a score in equivalent to where they are now. Nice. Um, and then NRs. NRs. N- NRs the same again. So Is, is an NR a term used globally? A non-return of score is, yeah, so we, like, NR. It's yeah, we call it NR. Yeah. I sometimes think, I don't know if Americans have it as an NR. No, because they, they have most likely score, so they don't really NR, because if they don't complete a hole, they just record a score anyway. So it's a gimme that, pick it up. <laughs> a little bit, but they can be, if you're 20 yards off the green and you pick your ball up, they'll just add two shots to it, or three shots, depending on your ability. So they'll Who just, do that? The players The players do. themselves. Really? Yeah. 
So it's called, there's like a sliding scale. But basically, what we'll do is, you can't actually NR from around a golf. In America? Anywhere. All right. So you can walk off the golf course, so you've not completed your round. So for competition purposes, you've no returned. But you can still have a a score valid for handicap purposes, as long as you've played a minimum number of holes. So if you're playing a nine-hole competition or a nine-hole round, you've got to play all nine holes, because otherwise there's no Mm -hmm. point even trying to work out a score. But if you're playing an 18-hole round and then you decide after 10 holes that you've had enough and you're going in, under the World Handicap System, you can your score will still go in your record because we'll give you scores for the eight holes that you've not played. That's quite good. Though. I can see me just doing 10 from now on. Right, that's enough. <laughs> I would have parred the last. So after, you see, it's not just pars. Yeah. So depending on how you've played, depending on, on where you finish, depends on what score we give you. It'll just be an average for the rest of the round, I guess. Basically, it's net par plus one. So we give you a net par for the holes that you've not played. But the point is, if you if you do that on a regular basis, your committee are going to pull you up and say, mm. you're breaching the, the, the player's code of conduct almost. I suppose it would be good if you have an absolutely amazing round and it started really badly raining or you injured yourself, I don't know, something. There yeah. might be that instance where it comes in yeah. as a benefit. Things happen halfway around mm. a golf course that you've got to come in and you can't finish your round for no reason of your own, mm. but we can still allow a score to go in the record. Right, that's amazing. World Handicap System, I feel like we've got loads of information on it. I've got one more question in a minute, <laughs> which isn't about handicap, but I, I, one I've always wanted to ask. Um, it's been amazing. I think if anyone wants to find you on Twitter, etc., are they happy to ask questions? Or are you? I, I, I do have a Twitter account. I don't use it very often. So to be fair, if you go to England Golf, uh, at, England, at England Golf, uh, we'll get back to you through there. Or there's obviously, we've got our website, we've got an inquiry system. So feel free to visit I'll also, England Golf. I'll also put Gemma's mobile number in the description. <laughs> <laughs> so you can ask her all the questions you want. I'm only joking. Um, a question. Yeah. I've seen... Uh, again this might be completely gone off topic what qualifies for a legitimate holding one do you have to have played for a certain amount of holes before it going in does it have to be in a competition or do you not know i don't think there's any rules for a legitimate holding one i think you've just got to hold the ball in one stroke is there a maximum length? length yes i think there is for betting purposes um i think you know if you if you've got like a, a lottery like if you've got a car up for a hole in one price for example that there's a minimum length that you have to play before insurance the insurance will, will pay out on it. Uh, I'm not sure what it is, uh, worry, but I, I, I know that the, it's out there. What was the one you said about how many holes you have to play? That's what I'd heard a rumour of, but, that you have to play a certain amount well, of what, holes. The first hole, S&A is a par three. So if yeah. you had a hole in one, that wouldn't... I don't know. No, yeah. The guy did that on the first day after lockdown, didn't he? There was a guy yeah, who had a hole in one at style. S&A. An S&A as well. An S&A as well. That That's one. crazy. With the uh, the noodles in the hole or whatever. Yeah. Gemma, you've been amazing with your no time. No worries, thank you very much. Thank you so much. Hopefully we've got every, any, anything you feel like we've not covered. No, I think we've uh, I think we've we've covered the whole the whole realm of, of WHS. <laughs> Good luck on the second November for <laughs> you and your team. I'm sure you will be inundated and I, I'm I'm excited. I'm excited to potentially get a handicap. I'm excited to now play guy off three point one. We can have a battle who can get lowest handicap. <laughs> That'll be good. Or highest. Yeah. And then I think uh, what we've got out of this podcast is Guy needs to go and play Rob Burtdale. <laughs> I do. And last thing, if you're listening, you've enjoyed it, rate the podcast on Apple, please. Yeah. Five stars is good. Yeah. And we'll be back with another action packed episode next week. Thanks so much, Gemma, for your time. Thank you. And we shall see you all soon.